yes, it is important. It, there is certain types of athletes that need the structure. But if you're talking about working in volume and the youth athlete in high school, you have to put those kids into certain uncomfortable situations so they can figure out how to problem solve and still be successful even though the chips didn't fall their way. And how can you do that in a better place than a gym? People sleep on it. Like it's the perfect place to become more resilient as a human. And I think that a lot of that is games and not structuring everything in your workout. That was Pat Coyne. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, simplyfaster.com in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights. They're light in nature, 100, 200 grams that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power. And it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10 meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body and ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it. And that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next-level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. In my recent years as a coach and since I've been doing this podcast, some of the things that I've really enjoyed learning about and, and experiencing has been, I guess you could just say a holistic lens as to the development of the athlete. I used to be a track and field coach full-time as well as being a strength coach in that time period. Strength and conditioning has always been a big part of my life. But in my years, primarily as a strength coach, putting on the strength coach hat, I was always just seeking deeper themes, if you will, of transfer, things that would go beyond just getting bigger lift numbers or faster or trying to hit a game like performance indicator. Not that that stuff isn't important, but in looking to coach the athlete as well as I possibly could on the human level, the level of the human being. And the more I, I, I try to create this or try to find what I think my definition of this industry is sports performance, just the more talks and experiences and the more I can learn about training the human being on a core level, the more I think I understand what we are doing in the strength and conditioning industry. Pat Coyne, our guest today, is the owner of Black Sheep Performance in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's been helping clients of all levels reach a high potential after his career as a four-star football recruit ended in college due to an injury. Pat started Black Sheep in 2008 on the side of a house in Cincinnati, and within three years, he has outgrown his facilities, uh, landing in an 11,000-square-foot place. Uh, he's mentored under some of the top coaches in the nation, 
and gets great results with his clients, uh, working with youth to pro athletes to elderly and senior citizens. I met Pat in my process of moving back to Ohio this past July. We connected shortly thereafter. We have been able to share some great training sessions, just two coaching minds getting together and freestyling, if you will, workouts, which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. I've loved talking with Pat. I've loved training with Pat. And in my mind, ever since we, our first training session, it's only been a matter of time until we sat down and did a podcast together. Pat has an awesome mind for the mental, emotional, and physical state of the athlete and making sure he trains athletes, as I just mentioned, on that holistic and human level first and just building from the ground up with the really important things that matter. Yes, his athletes absolutely get stronger, get faster, jump higher, but there's also many other important elements at play. And if you walk in Pat's facility, you absolutely notice that. I'm really excited to get you guys this podcast. It was a lot of fun to sit down with Pat and record this. So let's get on to it. Episode 237 with Pat Coyne. Pat, so I'm sitting here at your desk or on the other side of your desk, and I'm seeing this like medieval helmet that I kind of wanted to wear for this, for this talk. <laughs> I'm not sure how it would uh, impact my voice. And I know you have some castle stuff uh, in the gym. Tell me a little bit about the, the medieval aspect of this office. Yeah, well, my first company was called Savage Fitness for a very big reason, and it's more of that savage, Nordic, Viking mindset. Um, it's definitely in my blood. One of my buddy, Drake Eaton, um, he's actually a dude who weighs 195 and can pull 675 like three times, makes his own battle armor and actually does combat. So swords, maces, all the heavy stuff, full body armor combat for competition. And when I moved from Cincinnati to Colorado to kind of start this big journey that I've been on, he gave it with me to bring that mindset wherever I go. So years go by, I haven't seen him in a year and a half, two years. He hasn't been with me in a gym and he came in here about four weeks ago and he didn't realize it was still on my desk. He gave me a Daikatana, it's under my TV. But for me, it's, it's the mindset and it's kind of the joy that I feel when I walk in every day and it kind of reminds me to, to take it serious, but at the same time, don't have fun with it you know I, I kind of feel like if you put that helmet on your deadlift would go up about 50 pounds instantly i heard that that helmet causes prs <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of it's kind of funny like you did see someone wearing it but i think that it really does reflect i, I mean the few, the times we've trained together since i moved here to cincinnati it's it always runs deeper than way deeper than sets and reps and, and exercises and even biomechanics. I know we'll talk about that stuff, but down the rabbit hole we the, go. There's I, I've just been more and more tuned to the mental and emotional power that kind of underlies everything when you're in a training session. So I, I'm sure we'll get into that. But tell me a little bit more about your background, because I know you're a real high level athlete. You're kind of a younger coach. Tell me about your inspiration as an athlete. What made you want to do this whole thing? And we'll take it from there. Started in, in sports. I'm a Midwest kid. Uh, played basketball, baseball, track, football, and lifted weights from a really young age. Started lifting weights in seventh grade in my basement with my dad. Uh, it was a fun thing to do. I watched Same him here. do it. Yeah, <laughs> just watched him do it my whole life. It's not like I was forced or pigeonholed into it. I watched him lift weights. I watched my mom lift weights, and it's something that I wanted to do. It looked fun. They were always happy when they did it. So for me as a kid, that was kind of subconsciously instilled that I I like to lift weights. Lift weights to be happy. It's part of your life. It's not a necessity. It's part of you. It's what you do. Um, played football, ended up playing in high school, actually ended up being like the number two quarterback in the state of Ohio, was a four-star recruit, had all the offers in the world and all Americans and ended up wanting to stay home and play football at University of Cincinnati. 
didn't take the game as serious as I wanted to off the field. I had all the talent, and that's my own fault. Uh, football did not end up working out. Played some, moved positions, played special teams, did a lot of different things. Didn't work out. But what was the constant in college? I was the strongest dude on the team pound for pound. I was I had a 680-pound squat in college as a quarterback. I had a 460-pound bench. Is that relevant to quarterback? Absolutely not. <laughs> but um, at that time, I was really proud of it. I really knew I liked to lift weights, and that's where I felt the most alive. So football ended uh, like it will for everyone one day. Didn't make it to the NFL. But I did realize that I, I really loved training. I didn't want to stop training even though football was done. And football was a constant in my life for 22 years. It wasn't. So I had no identity. Wasn't happy at all. So lifting weights made me happy going back to being a kid. So I started to train really, really hard. Like everyone does at the beginning. Too much volume, too much stress. Was in the gym way too long. But it made me happy. And that was kind of like the concrete after having sand under my feet when football failed that I could kind of build myself up on. So football ended, started lifting weights and ended up starting working in a GNC, um, working at LA Fitness, working at all these places where I could, I could learn anything about the industry that I wanted to be in one day. And I had actually started to train some quarterbacks on the side while I was still playing quarterback in college. And I realized how happy it made me. And I realized I could instill in some of these kids what I did very wrong. And they picked up on because they wanted to be where I was at. Um, and even though I wanted them to surpass me, I knew right when it was done, that's what I wanted to do. So from GNC to LA Fitness to Evo Fit, um, and then moved to Denver, mentored and learned under Lauren Lando, uh, moved to Miami Beach, got to meet Mark Magna, got to see how he does things at Anatomy and, and spent some time with him. Moved back here and started on the side of my parents' house training athletes again once I moved home with my wife. So that's where we're at now. Long story short. Yeah, I I wanted to. I don't always ask the background question. Sometimes I feel like, you know, a, a lot of times it can be redundant to try to get into backgrounds. But I well, I like that one that we share that you know starting at age twelve in the basement. That's where it started for me. I think maybe maybe I was like I think I pulled the the weights up from the basement at age twelve. I saw my dad lifting at about that age, and I was like oh, I was going to take it that weights into my bedroom and just try to figure <laughs> stuff out aimlessly. But it was fun. Uh, but something you said, and I think about this with the, I guess, sports performance field or whatever. Maybe we should have like written down a few things that we think this fe- names for the field, strength, conditioning, athletic performance, what, whatever it is. Um, you said you felt most alive in the weight room. And mm-hmm. you also talked about what you did wrong as a player. Because I know, I mean, you were clearly physically very strong. And I know you can throw the ball a mile too. So it's not just like not functional strength. Like yeah. You have physical tools. But what held you back? I mean, you said things, uh, choices outside. Yeah. Well, was there also like a mentality or a, just a processing of the game on the field that you felt was a disconnect versus how you felt in the weight room? I mean, for me, it's very. I think it's the same problem everyone has. I was struggling with ego. You know, being a kid from a smaller town and understanding how much better I was physically than a lot of the people I was competing against. But I always knew deep down. I used it came out different at that age. I wasn't as emotionally intelligent as I am now, and I'm still trying to learn. I I'm a long way to go still, but I didn't really understand how some some parts of the game came easier to some kids than me. The mental aspect of the game I was lagging on, but instead of taking that on the chin and running at it and studying film and studying the back end of playing quarterback, I ran from it and washed it down with whether that's partying, whether that's a could go down the list. Is everyone sure? I spent it other ways. Um, and for me, that was the biggest disconnect in sports is that I had every physical ability in the world and it came very easy to me and I enjoyed it and I felt it was fun. 
But when I got into that classroom setting, my ego went up, the walls went up, and I didn't want to hear anything anyone was saying. And so I couldn't apply it to my game. So basically, I was handicapping myself from a very young age to be able to to do well in my sport because I didn't want to do the back end work. I only wanted to do what was seen, not what wasn't seen at the time. I know with myself too. I mean, I wasn't as high of a level athlete as you, but I, the, the similarity is that I didn't, like I said, I wouldn't take it on the chin when I would fail in a game. I wouldn't look at like the mental, emotional, the tactical, the technical. I just, Oh, I would just retreat to the weight room. Let me lift some more weights. Let me take it out of the weights or find some more plyos. How can I dunk better? Which, yeah, it's great to dunk for a basketball player, but that didn't help me be a better player. 100%. But I've talked about that on this podcast before. I, I think that you know a lot of people listening are somewhat familiar with that concept of trying to overdo some markers at the expense of others. But if you could go back to yourself as a younger athlete, it, like you said, you said your ego got in the way and you would drown it out in the weights mm-hmm. or partying. But mm-hmm. in terms of just the game, like the game, what would you have said to yourself to give yourself advice younger? And maybe we can talk about how that filters into how you yeah, train athletes absolutely. now. absolutely. I mean, it's what I do with my life now. So I, I'm very passionate about this. I would go and spend time doing everything that I didn't want to do. And I know that's an easy cop-out as a coach to say, you should be spending time doing what you don't want to do, mm-hmm. not what you do want to. Well, in my case, stuff that everyone usually doesn't want to do, the weights, the sprints, the sleds, the everything. I loved that. Yeah. It came so easy to me. Everyone was sad. I was happy. It filled me up. It gave me energy. But when we would go into that classroom setting or whether it was more treatment, more range of motion, more mobility, single arm stuff, things that I, I wouldn't have done at that time, I should have gone back and done because it would have completely changed my game. But now the way we are as thinkers is that if I wouldn't have had those experiences, I wouldn't be who I am now and where I'm at and doing what I'm doing. But if I could go back, I would spend time on doing the things that I hated, which is what I actually needed bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad like you, I'm, I'm glad that I was so lopsided early and because it's, it's put me where I am now and I'm very happy with where I am now. And it's important to be able to look back on those times and think, yeah, what would I have done differently? Uh, you're talking about classroom, like like football classroom, like studying film and things like that. Well, even class in general, yeah. there's a lot you learn in class. You know, I married someone who has two beautiful degrees, math and economics. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. I, I didn't spend time around intellectuals at that time. And it's why I'm so passionate about knowing the why and the how to everything I do now, because I realized it, I lacked legitimacy in football because I didn't want to know the back end of it. I didn't want to know everything. I just want to do what I was good at. <laughs> So now it comes out into my training to where I'm more focused a lot of the times on the back end and the environment and the energy versus just how much weight and what makes you feel good as an athlete, not what makes you uncomfortable and more resilient. One of the things I really enjoy about just your facility here, which is awesome, by the way, um, but you have like a basketball hoop up, you have golf in, and, and I think what we did one training set the other like, a few months ago that was like, <laughs> and I, 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 I don't know if this was like, I know I'd seen Paul Cater do this. I mean, it's just in the ether, right? But like doing a golf chip in between like heavy sets, like can you get out of this uh, highly sympathetic, highly focused state into a more relaxed state? Can you, can you make that switch? And so I, I know, and just how much like games you play and your ability to connect mentally and emotionally with people. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that that total holistic approach has filtered into uh, when you're working with athletes that it's, hey, look, I know you're getting stronger, you're running faster, that's awesome, but connecting those other dots that might be holding them back. I, I think athletes have an idea from society and from other coaches, and I'm not putting any coaches down or saying names, is that there's only a strict routine that you have to do. Walk in, dynamic stretch, speed, lift weights, leave. 
well, great, you are making the athlete stronger. You might cut down his tent. He might up his bench press by, you know, 100 pounds. That's great. That's amazing. You might up his broad jump. All things I like to do, yes. It's important for me. But did you ever work on the human being in front of you? What happens when his stress goes up and his cortisol goes up? Can he ever compete the task that you or complete the task that you want him to? It might be very simple, but because that athlete, he or she is uncomfortable, you're now working on something different than pushing a sled or, or lifting a bar or moving a bar. Now you have to think cognitively and problem solve while you're under stress, which is sports. You know, you have, you have these training sessions, which are comfortable and they build people up and they, they, it's very, very ego driven to where, yeah, I want my athletes only feeling great. I want my athletes only mentally feeling that they've crushed the day. Very true. There's truth in that. But how uncomfortable did you make your athletes in a healthy way, in a, in a safe environment to where they could fail, to where you could see how resilient that athlete was becoming because they were figuring out how to problem solve and not run away from it like we were talking about, but run right at it. Um, so putting athletes, including pros, like we play a game called Kirby ball. There's nothing behind it more than a kid that I, uh, Jack Kirby, who's going to, to Penn university we've had for a lot of years, ran a kid over accidentally. So we called it Kirby ball. But what it is, is there's two coolers out 25 to 30 yards apart in our gym. There's three team or there's three people on each team. We make the teams pretty fair. I don't care if you're a lacrosse player and a question writer, a, a lineman, whatever you are, you're on the team. It's a, it's a combination between basketball, uh, lacrosse, like three-man basketball weave down the court to where it's very fast-paced and moving. And you get to see how people work as a team. You get to see how people can take information and can they actually process it fast enough to get the end goal, which is score, no matter what sport you play. And three teams are, are three on three. And then when one team turns the ball over or scores, another three comes on the field. So who can remain tired and still focus and have fun, actually have fun with it? Who can bring in other components of their life and social skills into a game and involve other people? I like to see the full human being first. Then we can smack the weights. Then we can work on your shin drop and your 40 and your change of direction and your play. All these things that we do work on in here. But there's also you can't train the athlete if you don't know the human. It's impossible. You might think you can because you're getting these metrics of, oh, I've, I've raised this bench rest by this. Cool. Have you done anything for the human being itself to become a more resilient person in society and in sports? That's where games come into play. That's where all these reaction games you're seeing come healthy now. That's just natural stuff. They're just being athletes and human beings. They're having fun. You could play a game of knockout for a warm-up. Guys that have never shot a basketball are shooting basketball. You know what I mean? Like a lot of spike balls getting very, very, very um, popular now is, is a full warm up. We still do a mini dynamic stretch. We still do resiliency in the calf and lower limb. But who says you can't play four and a half minutes of a game? The cone reaction drill we did where you're mirroring each other or running down the gym, mirroring each other. You're not in a closed box setting. It's an open chain drill. And I think those are the best warm ups because you're thinking freely and just moving and reacting. Yeah, it makes me think about um, Kurt Hester talks about in his book, Rants of a Strength and Conditioning Madman. He's got a game called, like his go-to game, it, he calls it Ghetto Ball. And I forget how it works, but it it's these games that involve all these different skills. And there's you know different ways, oftentimes there's different ways to score. And kind of like you're talking about with Kirby Ball, it's almost like something where, and like Bobby Stroop just talked about on the last podcast we put out, like building the athlete from the ground up, not the top down, not like saying, well... I mean, and again, I think I enjoy, especially my time with the Darien Bar, studying the freaks and studying the things that they do, studying the nuances of what does make them fast is valuable. But then again, it's also important to 
like look at these like childhood games like where that's where like where the human being not just biomechanics but also emotions where's what happens to someone emotionally when you're not good at something where do you make the most progress yeah you're making the most progress in those formidable years of your life but then all of a sudden when you get into society and get into a routine like the gym the gym is another routine are you ever getting uncomfortable are you ever having fun that's when you make the most I'm not saying that you have to feel good every session, but that's when I feel like you make the most progress is when you are having fun. You know, where we are working on just like a kid from the start. How well can you crawl? How well can you get up? How well can you do these things that a kid does? And why does a kid make so much progress so fast? Why do we all of a sudden throw that out just because they're a pro athlete or there's someone that has done something for themselves in sports? I think it's still equally, impor- equally as important. It's why football drills at the end of practice, they have linemen catch punts. Lyman can't catch punts, no offense, but some some of them can, but it's fun and it mm-hmm. releases endorphins before practice is over. So subconsciously, the players are thought they had a fun practice. They might have got their asses kicked, but what they're going to remember is at the end of the, the, at the end of the practice, the coaches let them have fun. I'm going to come back and mess with coach tomorrow. I'm going to come back and go <laughs> hard for coach because he let us have some fun. You can't beat that. And especially if you're running a facility as an owner like I am and the head trainer, it all comes down from you. It's facilitated from you. So... Are you allowed to have fun in your facility or are you getting yelled at every single day? That reminds me, I, I learned a lot of things working with swim uh, back at Cal, just in a sport that before Cal, I really had very little experience with. And one of the things in the swim world, not just like strength for swimming, just swimming, just just how does that world unfold? How do those practices unfold? And one of the things that I thought was awesome that I didn't really see in other sports or, or track because doing track was they would have a get out swim. Meaning if somebody hit a certain time in a certain uh, set or, or really a repetition, a lot of times it was like a weird repetition. Like you have to like one time a guy had to swim like a 200 breast stroke with like fins, paddles, socks, like every bit of gear and hit some insanely slow time. But it was just this crazy. And if he he swam it, then everyone got to go home. And it's just like everyone's having fun watching this guy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like and you can't put that how do you write that in x's and o's when you write your program you can't it's a complex situation but it's like these coaches who are and swimming's a tough sport i mean it's like extremely extremely tough tough. and so it almost like organically i loved watching swimming because you could see all these um coaching factors organically emerge from this really difficult sport you have to have fun and i would think about uh, back when i was working with tennis in the strength and conditioning setting too i was just thinking i mean that's a sport where absolute strength I mean, how strong is Federer? You know, like these guys, you don't, we we are really in there for injury resiliency because it's a sport of repetition. Mm -hmm. Yes, I want to make you stronger. Yes, I want to make you faster. Yes, we're going to measure a few things to make sure we're doing something that increases your physical capacities. But those guys ultimately just want to compete. They are more than anyone who works with tennis knows and more than trainers. And some of them do like training. A lot of them are ambivalent, I would say, but they love to compete. And so I got so much more out of that group for both them and me. I'm not even saying like the coach who likes to think that teams are under their thumb. Oh, I'm making you work. And oh, if you don't like this, I'm not, you know, communicating it to you the correct way. It's like those guys particularly. And not to say that isn't important. I do think it's critically important. I'm always working on my own communication ability as a coach and I to improve that but that group needed to have fun and by making their warm-ups all games or even like roughhousing like I got from Rafe Kelly uh like physical contact and seeing what made people yes uncomfortable but also just finding ways to stretch them athletically it's almost like they say that motor learning happens significantly faster when you're playing a game and I think if you can gamify things, and we just talk about that in life in general, being more productive, if it's gamified, if it's competition, it's like you're, 
you're taking something that exists and you're you're dumping like like you got the sauce that the secret sauce on your desk there <laughs> you're dumping the sauce on it it's an amplifier and you're 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 either accelerating what you would have done or you're doing things that were impossible i and i think a lot of times just doing a canned you know, we're going to do this movement prep, you're going to do these 10 exercises, and that's going to get you ready to lift weights like that's, you know, and that's, you will not be able to touch things that you otherwise would have. And uh, last thing I'll say is, it makes me think about what I, I think Paul Cater said this on the podcast we did, which was that it's like, yes, we want we want to transfer things out of the weight room. That's It's critical. Like if you don't have any thought of transfer, especially with higher level athletes, I think that at some point you're doing athlete a disservice. But at the other side of the coin, you have to like really hone in on that human level of the athlete. And to truly hone in on the human being, sometimes you have to throw transfer out the window on that same, you know, same side of it. Why are some of the best PRs that I've had personally and my athletes and other gyms and, and mentors and coaches that I've seen train we can't forget as coaches and if coaches are listening to this or personal trainers or group trainers or whoever you are, right? You're a facilitator. Like you're, you're literally a catalyst. It's your job to pull out of the athlete what they need, not what you want to force on them because you're ego driven or you want them to hit mm-hmm. this number. Does the number help them at all? So I've had people PR on broad jump without a warm up, joking around because it turns into a game to where we're just jumping for height and through our glutes where we're not getting into extension. How far can you jump as a warm up? How far can you shin drop? Then that mm-hmm. turns into, I just got 9.7, never done that before. I just got 10.2. Holy crap, where's this coming from? Because there's no external stress or structure placed on that athlete. Not saying structure is vitally important. Programming is vitally important to, to us at Black Sheep, to you. I know you program all the time. I do. I take it very serious. But at some time, like, like Grant Fowler says, like there's only so much you can put into a workout to where it doesn't feel forced where you're shoveling it down their throat. Is there any freedom or or way to move about the session to where, all right, instead of a, a four by five, the last set we're going to go for 12, the last set we're going to go for six, the last set we're going to go for three. It, there's just so much structure around. I feel like that some people in like Christian uh, Thibodeau talks about is neurotyping. Yes, it is important. It, there is certain types of athletes that need the structure. But if you're talking about working in volume and the youth athlete in high school, you have to put those kids into certain uncomfortable situations so they can figure out how to problem solve and still be successful even though the chips didn't fall their way. And how can you do that in a better place than a gym? People sleep on it. Like it's the perfect place to become more resilient as a human. And I think that a lot of that is games and not structuring everything in your workout. Yeah, it's it's almost like... <laughs> or in your that, program, rather. Like yeah. a linear progression. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes you have to feel the session versus force the session. Yeah, exactly. And so that that does bring up the point of well, when do you start to go for those those goals, those KPIs, and whatever? And but I like I always think, and I may even mention this last time I talked to Dan John when he was on a few episodes ago. Is Dan had written this years ago, and I always thought about this because, and he he talked about the idea of back when you whoever you is didn't know much about training. You're just kind of doing whatever. You didn't have expectations. And you were just almost everything was like new and you're just experiencing it. And you just set a PR out of nowhere. And then, you know, we the next thing we do is we start reading and learning and structuring and layering. And then all that structure, a lot of times plateau city, we, we just let plateau city. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's why I, I can't get away from from games and whatever game that is. I mean, that's just it's I mean, everything. And it's hard to explain. Well, how do you gamify training? Some people want to see, feel that sense of control and. So it's but sometimes uh, the game is as simple as yeah. 
like some of my NFL athletes, I won't name names, is that when we're doing speed work at the end, instead of doing a conditioning drill or instead of we're going to put whether that's monetary value, money on the line, or whether that is, you know, you have an extra set of sprints, you have another minute on the split squat ISO at the end of a workout, things they don't want to do. You know what I mean? You have an extra set of something you don't like if you lose this rep. So mm-hmm. it might be a flying 10. Whoever wins the flying 10 doesn't have to do mm-hmm. it. Whoever wins the 5, 10, 15 as a race doesn't have to do it. Whoever wins the 10-yard sprint doesn't have to do it. So now you're watching the form that you just tried to put into your drills and have carryover and PAP and French mm-hmm. contrast, all good things. But you see the real carryover when you're competing against someone and you don't have to hit these positions and you're not by yourself. You're not trying to hit the hashtag off the line. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to hit the perfect yeah. extension. And don't get me wrong, important, very important, but... Is that going to happen when you're competing for money or competing for a job or competing to get out of something you don't want to do? I don't think so. So I think games can be seen as sprints or conditioning or med ball volleyball or how high can you throw a med ball or far? It just brings in that competition level, which as athletes, if you're not comfortable with competing, you're not going to last very long in whatever your sport is. Regardless if it's an individual sport like track or golf or something like that, you're still competing. So learn how to compete and have fun. Yeah, it's almost like we this environment... I'm saying this being the weight, the weight room, the gym, whatever. It's almost like it when you take the expectations off in regards to transfer, which again, I think there's always some things that should like at least be keeping track on some level. But it is like when you take the expectations because I and I've I've talked with other coaches about this and and with the quote even being screw the transfer. Like and only I only say that in the sense of just taking expectations off. Not that there shouldn't there should absolutely be transfer, but it's more like the expectations of everything looking like the the sport. And, and, and again, I, I think that there's coaches that get success with that I know, like, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Yesis and the special exercises. And I, I have respect, I, I think that stuff is important. But I also think it's important to, um, and this is what I was alluding to with Paul Kidder before, like, just, just being in a situation without expectations of what's going to happen outside of it, and just being in the moment and competing in the moment, like you said, competing in the moment to not have to do something extra mm-hmm. at the end, competing in the moment, because it's just fun. And it's like, what happened when you were a kid, and then you start doing that enough and you start seeing things, you know, organically emerging because you were able to nurture the human being. And I, I just think I, I feel like I had something else to say about that. But again, that's not to dismiss that. I, I, I do think, I mean, I've, I study a lot of biomechanics and, and I really, that is important part of um, what I do. But I also, if you get so far into that and you lose the other end of it, it's, it, you're going to limit your progress for sure. I agree. My mentor, Lauren Lando, has a, a great saying is that posture dictates power. His his way of training is beautiful. It's something that I didn't take full advantage of because when I was there, still ego-driven, thought that I knew things, thought that I wanted to throw what he was doing out the window sometimes. To where now, any conversation I have with him, it's more of, it's all legitimacy. I remember the first day he came in and he asked me what my progression was with my youth athletes and what I was working on. I didn't have an answer. I've never felt worse in my life about training. And that was the start of my legitimacy. That was four years ago, three and a half years ago. That was, or four years ago. That was the start of my legitimacy of really chasing this. But bringing the long way to point to bring that up is that Lauren has these beautiful positions. He has his athletes hits every session, whether that's in, in acceleration, change of direction, max velocity. And I watched it and he's a hundred percent right. There's an optimal position and posture and degree of angles that you hit that if you hit that position, you're going to be more efficient and optimal. The end. There's no argument there. 
But what I'm saying is that I've started to add games in or a tic-tac-toe or put two squares out and go frontal plane. How many tennis balls can you put in a 30-second time? You're going to hit that, you know, 80% on the front leg, 20 on the back, open your foot up at the front. Those angles are naturally hit without overcoaching. So if you can, what I do a lot of times is I'll sneak videos when they're playing a game and I'll show the positions that they're hitting and I'll show the kids, say, why couldn't you hit that in training? I was a little nervous. I was this. Okay, well, you just crushed it. Now run up to the line without the game, hit that angle and sprint out. There it is. Because there's no pressure. There's no like an external constraint on you have to hit this or you're not going to be efficient. Okay, well, let's take the stress out of it and let's put a game into it. Whether it's still, it's still training, you're still working your butt off, but there's not as much closed chain to it. Now there is basic multi-direction things that I do that I got from Lauren that I do every single base change of direction day. I will not vary from it because it works and I know where it comes from. But there's also a game a lot of times, almost like a contrast, where I'll do the closed chain, then I'll open it up and put the open chain and let them have fun. They express it, they love it, they sweat, they train, boom, next drill. It's kind of like what Rob Assis and I were talking about not too long ago, the idea of uh, for a track context, like go do a triple jump. Okay, now go play pickup basketball for like five minutes. Okay, come back and do your next triple jump. I, if you could set it up like that, I love the, the idea. It's of like what we do with basketball. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, doing the French contrast. Like, yeah, I, yeah. For again, this is where video would be fantastic, but you know, you and I have been doing these for just to fill everyone in. These French contrast workouts are, tri, you know, um, yeah, French contrast. I always think triphasic because I like um, Chris and uh, Chris Corfus Caldi's triphasic for football mm-hmm. manual with all this stuff. Uh, but it it was a swim that actually got me about just throwing sports skills in there. And so, yeah, we'll do the French contrast. But instead of a depth jump, we'll just go dun- do different dunks. Exactly. But that brings in that play. Yeah. And I've never got a between the legs dunk on a nine foot hoop. And I did. And we both went crazy. But I feel like if I was just trying to do it, it was never going to happen. You're like, dude, let the belly go. Just fall. Feel it. Next thing I know, I'm in the air. It was it felt great. It felt amazing. But I feel like those things, getting yourself into that parasympathetic nervous system and relaxing, there's not that external pressure and fear that yes. you have subconsciously that's like, I might fail. Who cares? It's a yeah. game. Go. Yeah. Because- Try it. It's just a dunk. It's just a sprint. <laughs> it's just a bound. It's just a broad jump. Um, not putting that pressure. Everyone's plyometric game we want. I think all gyms should have an adjustable rim. <laughs> I agree. That's a huge yeah. game changer. It's almost like doing overspeed for jumping. You're feeling yourself jump higher. Are you actually? Maybe. But the rim's lower, so you're going to feel when it actually goes back up, you're going to crush it. If you've listened to this show for a while, then you might understand the power of observing Mother Nature when it comes to working with athletes. This might be to the point where I've worked with many elite coaches who have spent time watching animals, for example, to make biomechanical inroads to working with athletes on how we can work better. You can really never go wrong with observing nature in action. I've made a similar jump in the world of nutrition, where I really now look to what nature can provide us from a supplementation standpoint. If you would have asked me about herbalism five years ago, I would have just thought about the Jinko biloba capsules at the local drugstore as some sort of low-grade health alternative. But these days, I've found my way into performance herbalism, featuring high-grade, immaculately sourced herbs that, that serve very specific functions to my health, vitality, and even my strength development. With Performance Herbalism, Lost Empire Herbs is my go-to company for all things herbs. Two times podcast guest Logan Christopher, who is also a very accomplished strongman amongst other things, is their CEO. And I use several of Lost Empire Herbs formulas and tinctures in my total nutrition regimen and I've achieved great results. Would absolutely recommend it to anybody. If you want to check out my favorite herbs as well as learn a lot more about them, 
As well as get 15% off your order, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, where you can see some of my top herbs, such as shiliagit resin, which was mentioned by Grant Fowler a few episodes back. So head on over to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly for 15% off some of my favorite herbs for health and performance. All right, let's get back to the show. I've heard that Louis Simmons uh, indirectly has said, like, make basically make every training day a great day. And I, I feel like it's like, okay, if I someone walks to the gym or if I walk in the gym and I know I'm not going to get this and my typical bari- you know, markers are, well, I d- jumped off a 24-inch box over a 48-inch hurdle and I have to get 50 or I, I'm not going to improve. And But as soon as you go in and you know you are worse, I think there's, there's almost like a judgment cycle that regardless of all things uh, physiological, that mental thought of I didn't get better does have an impact on progress and you actually lose a little bit of trust in the system. But if instead of that, it's... Well, hey, you know, how how high a rim could you do a 360 dunk with a tennis ball on? I don't know. Let's see. And then all of a sudden you forget about where you were previously and you walk out with a smile on your face. And You don't even know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just went through the motions. I think there are some athletes, especially in, in, in the tier of – because we train athletes from eight years old to professional. We do senior citizens. We do the silver sneakers. We do everything in black sheep. But everything centers around movement and strength. But with the pros, there is some athletes that if you don't give them the external structure, it's the opposite of the neurotyping. If you don't give them the structure, if you don't give them those metrics, they're going to check out. They're not interested. They're only interested because I think that's the way they were programmed and into being a pro athlete and they made it and they feel like they need to continue to do that or they'll cease to make progress, which I've seen in both ways. So I think there's a lot to be said about trainers having enough hours on the floor to kind of see who that person is and, and what that person might be. Maybe mm-hmm. I treat that person completely different than the other person, as you should at that level. Yeah. Um, but I have seen to where fun or open-chained does more damage than good. And that is a, that's just because we're having an open in a conversation. I have seen both ways, but there's 95% that sees open-chain well, and the 5% might need the metrics to have a good training session in their eyes or they're leaving with more cortisol than endorphins, which is never what you want. Um, so it, it's been an interesting journey and I feel like not having a closed mind or having set parameters around everything has let me be able to kind of ride in the water, you know, go left, go a little right, go left, go right versus staying straight in the line. I've seen everybody PR both ways. So. Yeah. And by open chain, really, I'm sure you mean like just doing more gamifying, open yes, chain exactly, gamifying. Exactly. Yeah. No constraints, no metrics, no have fun with it. Let's be fast. Let's be explosive. Let's let's there is context behind it. Like this is what I want you to feel. Go do it. I'm not going to say anything. I might videotape it and sneak that and, and show you that you did do what I wanted you to do later. But I, I've seen it also be detrimental too. athletes are funky human beings. And I think it's our job to figure out how to, to facilitate them and make them as 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 functional and optimal as they can be that's what our job is yeah i i agree i do think i look at like um like tony holler's feed the cat system those athletes like when they're running their 40-yard dashes for example run by themselves they don't they usually don't race each other i think Mm -hmm. tony had an option there where they did compete but i think it's because he wanted that it to be more of a they are figuring out how to get faster versus just racing because as soon as you do go into competing you go into whatever the main most efficient subconscious program is and you just go and you go. And the only way to change it is to take, but I, I, I do think about myself being overly cerebral and I'll do whenever I do now having all the experience I have learning from a Darian bar for all these years. Like mm-hmm. when I do, and people always 
I, the thing that would frustrate me more than anything, and this is pretty much across my whole athletic career, is my Achilles heel is my laser start, um, like 10, 20, 30, 40 yard dash acceleration just has always been when I, when I'm going by myself has always been very difficult for me, but I have very good game speed. When I race people, I'm usually not too bad. I've heard people say, oh, well, you're just thinking about it too much. Maybe they can see what I can't, you know? Um, and so I, I, even like in recently my training sessions, uh, sometimes when I'm racing or, I, or I'll do a drill where I'm like going against, um, like my training partner right now is a college sprinter. Mm-hmm. And so I will, we'll race each other and I'll, I'll just get to go first. That's my advantage. And he has to chase me down and I can literally feel under the competition, a new emotional set as I feel my brain squatting me down. Like I'm not even thinking about this. I'm noticing it. Like my body, like squatty runs, my everything is squatting more so I can beat this guy. You know, that's all that matters. I'm not thinking about anything else. It's not the time anymore. It's just don't let this guy beat you. And I notice what my brain is doing in my body, which is squatting me down so I can get my foot back on the ground faster. Your brain knows best. <laughs> it does. And it's like, oh, cool. Thanks, brain. Like you made me faster there. And so I, I just, but again, I think that I'm overly cerebral. Some people who don't have any cerebralness and just and just play, like you said, maybe they do need to do some runs by themselves where there's some sort of nuance to break. Or when, once you need to break a pattern that's so established, the only way to break it is to do something that's, like you said, more closed chain, has some more instruction, or at least context, maybe pulling a sled, maybe doing over you know mini hurdles or whatever. Like I get, I get, it's important you said that because I think it is easy to draw poles like i'm all the way on this side i'm all the way on this team or i'm all the way on this team and say okay well you know this person might need more of the games this person might need like me i i need more games and that's going to be my bias and i i probably more likely to project that onto the athletes i work with because i will get overly cerebral otherwise so i think it's a huge problem in our industry is that we talk about it all the time we have had a lot of good conversations to where i think people are so driven in fear by society or, or our industry to CCS, the the all the the certifications behind it. There's that wing of people, and there's wings of people who have gotten experience, still have certifications, but started training earlier. I'm on that end. It's where I did drop out of college. I am self-taught. I have amazing mentors and lived basically homeless for a lot of years to learn from those people um, and started from scratch. But my thing is, is there's there's amazing information and in studies, real studies and information on both ends. There has to be a middle ground in our field. No one's right and no one's wrong. But if we could put the athlete first and their progress before our own ego, our industry would be so much better. Oh my God, it'd be better. That's like doctors not sharing secrets on how to get the best, the the best open heart surgery. Well, this is what worked for me. Well, this is what worked for me. Well, what works Mm -hmm. best? What's best for the heart? What's best for our patients so they don't die? In our industry, it's like, well, that person's wrong because of this, because of that study. Well, that person on the other end is wrong because of that study. Well, did the athlete get better? Yes. Well, there's some context of that that's right. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. what you did right and what we could do better. And that's where I think our industry would just catapult into another level because everyone's working together and not to put another trainer down or my looks better than yours or my athlete's better than yours. Well, what about the athletes being better in general? That's it period the end that's our job so i think coming together and actually sharing knowledge and information it's why we get along very well um we would not i don't get along with trainers who are only stuck in their ways i just usually it's not usually a very good conversation because they're not willing to question their norm at all i am i have my principles that i won't sway from but there's a lot that we could talk about because maybe i'm not doing it right that's where football 
taught me how to lose, let the ego completely go <laughs> and accept information and try to apply it with all my athletes as a study. Did it work? Yeah. Did yeah. it not? Nope. Let's start no. out. Okay. That's the beauty of this field. And especially something I do enjoy about the private sector is it's really is all about results. Mm -hmm. Like you, if I'm not getting results, I'll hear people like Jeff Moyer, Dan Fichter says, like, if I don't get results, I'm not going to keep the athlete. I'm not going to yeah. keep food on my table. Yeah. My, my gym's not going to run. I'm an owner and a trainer. So do you want to be able to give people jobs? Do you want to let them have a good living in our industry and teach them that you can make a living in this industry? Or do you want to be self-centered self and ego-driven, lose money, lose clients, get people hurt, and not have anyone in your community behind you? That's why CrossFit does so well. Not putting CrossFit training down, but it's the community and the environment more mm -hmm. than the programming. People don't get that. They're feeding off energy that they can't even see. And that's why they PR all the time. It's why they want to go because mm -hmm. they're talking to 17 people that now they know because of lifting and they're sharing that experience together. So I think people can learn from like a community driven activity and bring that into your private sector gym and watch it organically just blow up versus paying for marketing. I've never paid for marketing in my life, nor will I. So I think it's very important to, to have that open environment where people feel comfortable and it's a learning environment and it's something with no ego. You're just coming in to get better, period. Yeah. It's your, I, I, I mean, there's something of it's just about training that I, one is the whatever processes happen to get the result and then studying those processes with as you know, little bias as possible is something I love about this whole system. But then as well as the idea of it's, it's almost like a heightened state of being a human being training is you're just, it's the music, the community, the feedback, like doing things you hadn't done before that you didn't think were possible. Um, those are, I mean, I'm sure that's something that I enjoy about, about training with people like you, like Paul Cater. And, and that's been a really, um, it's been, a, my life wouldn't be the same without that type of experience. I, and I've been learning more and more about that as I've been a coach in that type of community. Um, I, I do want to get to, um, so, uh, we talked about speed. So this was one of my questions and I did want to approach it because we had talked about open and closed chain, but I, I wanted to ask you about how your approach has changed, like in terms of any par big paradigm shifts over the years. I know before we got on the mic, we were talking a little bit about um, athletes who, uh, the art of not saying anything to athletes who are doing things quote unquote wrong as per what I think a lot of standards might be. So yeah. could you tell me a little bit about your journey there with speed? Um, my intro to speed, like I, I won't say names. I had college strength coaches that were good. We never worked on form. Pull the sled faster. Well, why are we pulling the sled? I have no idea. Just pull it. You know, there, there's strength coaches in, in Lauren Lando. I would say there's guys that I spent time with them before that their speed drills were ladders. In my head, all right, they're moving their feet as fast as they can. They're working some central nervous system. Well, I throw that out the window when I get to Colorado and I see speed work, real speed work. And watching Lauren Landa, who's a, who's a master at it in my eyes, and he is very position-based. You must hit this optimal position to be fast. He's right. And in 95% of my athletes, I 100% agree with him. He's 100% right. It's beautiful. I learned so much and have so much respect for what he does on a consistent basis and seeing how he doesn't have to use a lot of room to get what he needs done, um, how he uses external loads to get things done. There's so much study. And one of the fact 
the, one of the facts in speed training is that one of the best ways to get faster is resistance training. It is a fact. Whether you're pulling a sled, whether it's a band, now can you overdo it? Yes. But I really started to learn about percentages and loads and how he implements loads into sprint training. How to implement rest into sprint training. If you're not resting, it's conditioning. It's not speed training. So that kind of gave me like the concrete floor of like, oh, wow, this is what that looks like. This is what him training 40 pros at once looks like. It's beautiful. There's an art to it. It's efficient. It's quick. And they're hitting these positions where I could see it. Okay, that makes sense. That's acceleration. You need to get your shin to 40 degrees and under that. Okay. Um, I moved back to Cincy and I, I didn't have him to watch. I only had me. So that's a terrifying place as a trainer when you guys get to the private sector. And this is years ago where I couldn't look to him. Well, my athlete's not making progress. What am I doing wrong? He's, we're doing these drills. There's, there's positions are being hip and nothing's happening. Okay. And then I had a kid walk in one day. He kicked his own butt. He was bow-legged and his arm swing was tr- like literally frontal plane, side to side. His head was up. I mean, everything that I have heard, he was wrong. An outlier, a true outlier. He's the fastest dude in my gym. What is he really, 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 really good at? And at the same time, I started listening to you and Adarian talk. Rhythm, breath, timing. Nothing to do with force, right? Force is king in 99% of our world. Force, 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 force. Cool. If you don't know how to apply the force, there's no speed training. So seeing that athlete run, quote unquote, wrong and smoke everyone in my facility like laughing about it (laughs) completely wrong didn't hit one position that i wanted him to hit from a slow-mo video standpoint or watching it well there goes everything i know so that was like a big ego drop for me it's like all right well he's the fastest dude here he's hitting all his positions there has to be something that i'm missing and that's when it came down to rhythm so watching athletes not ever hit these optimal positions that i learned were right be faster than everyone else made me scratch my head and throw everything out the window. Now, me still teaching the punch back on acceleration, where you're hitting on your foot, the piston drive action. There is an extension and, and projection. There is those instances in my training where you see it. It's where we you'll hit our positions before we sprint. But there's less cueing. I started doing one-arm running that we talked about to where the hand and foot hits simultaneously at the same time on the ipsilateral side to where – just giving the athletes that cue, hit your hand and foot close at the same time. Drive your arms back instead of a 90-90. Relax your hands. You would see the rest. They would figure it out as they go versus doing all of these massive drills that took time and effort and energy and see it not do anything. Well, try to hit your hand and foot. Put your back leg up on a box. Let's work on falling mm-hmm. first. And then all of a sudden you see these athletes start to feel and they find their own way of running. To where there are those positions I can see. I can see the figure four that Darian talks about. I can see the back leg push and the front leg pull at the same time. I can feel the thoracic or see the thoracic relax, but they're figuring it out. I'm not overcoaching those positions. Now in youth, I think there is a lot of this is how, this is why, and then let them. But in college, it's like, or pros, it's two or three sayings. Give them the general guidelines and watch them run. So for me, I still do the loaded sprints. I still do bounce. I still do overspeed. I still do max velocity and acceleration and change direction. I still have those base components that Lando instilled in me, but I've brought a lot more freedom of expression and rhythm and flow and in true movement. Everything is spirals and transverse plane. I learned that from your book. Great book. Also a very, like, very big changing point in my life, like a fork in the road. Do I want to stay 
left and stay with everyone on this side of the industry that I know and I'm comfortable with and look up and aspire to be like still do or do I go down a rabbit hole and still try to keep the same components I have been and then accept what you've said as well because it works that's kind of where I'm at now I'm old school with with the positions and everything I need to hit but at the same time there's a lot over here in this new world that is completely untapped misunderstood underexplained but felt by athletes if you let them. And like that is so powerful to me. And I've seen it change athletes instantly. Someone gets faster on site. I don't need eight weeks with them. Not saying that I can do that for everyone, but giving a kid, the kid's doing the work, giving them the expression of rhythm and the context and watching them run better immediately is something that I can't take back and unsee with my own eyes. <laughs> you know, I can't just unsee what I see and unsee what I train. Um, so I hope that answers the question. We could talk about speed for five hours, though. I'm sure. I'm obsessed. You've gotten a lot of, I mean, you've gotten some good results, too. I I know that. Amazing results. I mean, if you're talking flying 10, if you're talking 10-yard dash, if you're talking 40, I've plummeted times with this training. I mean, plummeted. Whether you're talking about broad jump, let them feel the shin drop. Let them feel projection. Let them feel the twist of the calf and pronation of the foot. Okay. With good horizontal force training, which we do still do. But what if you add that rhythm? What if you add that new wave of training that's not talked about? Your training's going to go up too. You know, we're still we're still meatheads to a contest. You know I love strength. I'm a strength addict. But there's also different ways to get strength as there's different ways to get speed. So amazing results, yes. Yeah, it's almost like you're, you're paying respect to positions that many high-level ha- athletes hit with the twist, or this is where I think it goes differently, of... Um, it, rather than a, I, I look at it as push versus pull. In a push, it's more cerebral, forebrain. You're trying to exert your will against the ground. Versus a pull is a react. It's a fall. It's a you are, you're you're. It's more symbiotic with the surface, as yeah. I see it. Like you, you have to wait for the surface and respond appropriately. Versus a a exert your, you know, it, it's almost like man exerting itself over nature type yeah. vibe. So it's to me, it's like, oh, how can I act in harmony with? my body and what I'm doing. And so I've, yeah, I've fallen into a more of a, a react, a notice, um, type situation and rhythm. Like rhythm is a, as is rhythm is probably like the best noticing, uh, based context you can create for someone. Like they can really notice what their body's doing once there's a rhythm. I agree. I love that. If you guys can hear the music, I love that Burroughs out there just working his butt <laughs> off from an ACL injury out there in the gym. But, um, I, I think that rhythm and it's, it's a, it's a mindset shift is that, and this is my saying, this is something I haven't heard other people say. It's something that I've started to say with my athletes. And now they can, if you've seen me train athletes, they can repeat what I'm saying in their own way. I want to say, I want to see how they think about what I'm saying and how they express it in their own brain. So a lot of things I'll teach, I teach rhythm before force. Most places completely opposite. How much force can you absorb? Cause you can only produce as much force as you can receive. There is truth to that statement, right? But what if I can teach an athlete how to feel light on their feet? What if I can let them feel kinetic energy goes from their feet to the top of their head and feel relaxed? Then we can go into force and production and understanding of why if they already have the win, which is I think rhythm of, is, is the win, is the win behind the movement. Like when does your foot hit? How does your foot hit? How do you feel with your diaphragm when your foot hits? That the how and the why behind that can come with strength training and we can express those two mm-hmm. worlds in one which I think is like the sweet spot, the honey hole, as they say. I'm a little bit of redneck into fishing. It's the honey hole. It's like you know you're going to catch 10 fish there every single time because that's the right thing to do. 
Yeah, I like the idea of you, you want a well-tuned human being first and then put strength on top of that. Uh, you yeah. don't want to put strength on top of a broken piano. Like string. Bobby Stroop, yeah. like we, I mean, Bobby's a, a, a mentor of mine to whenever he who will talk to me and has time for me, I'll listen, you know, and I have a lot of good questions for him. And um, you on your podcast, he talks about building it from the ground up. Babies had it right. You know, they make that huge, huge jump in progression in those young years, but they're literally building the most basic movements from the ground up. There is something to be said about that. And I'm saying you should base your training around a baby, but building the athlete from the ground up and instilling those qualities, then you don't have to spend time regressing and reteaching things five times a week. It should be taught the first time the right way felt. Then we move on and never have to address it again. Then that movement is secure. It's secure in its biomechanics, it's secure in its context, and it's secure in the why are we doing it. Then we can move on. We never have to talk about it again. It's just an RDL is an RDL. A, a bound is a bound. Whether that be on your heel or pronated or supinated, that's what a bound is. And if it's felt, then we don't have to talk about it as much. We just talk about the what you're doing it for in that day. I know with rhythm, I, was, I wanted to get into some nuts and bolts of that. So in my time with Paul Cater, he would like, you know, music. And then a lot of it was, you know, he would use the speed ladders for rhythm, not for teaching, you know, quote unquote, speed mechanics, Agree just a, a rhythm tool. Mm-hmm. But how, what are some ways that you look to utilize rhythm in your coaching on a day-to-day basis? Um, I'm not as much on the music side. I think in um, more of like a, a setting, music is important. The environment a lot of times is more important than the programming. And I guess rhythm can come from that music, which is important. Um, the way I use it is a lot of breath work, not actually sitting down and belly breathing, but feeling breath synced up with power. Um, a med ball rotational throw, like a transverse throw into the wall. Are you inhaling and creating length? Is your femur rotating at the right time as your diaphragm collapses on a push and pull? on a run are you grimacing and as you see a lot of runners like tighten their lips up Mm -hmm. and blow air into their cheeks are you grimacing with your feet hit the ground so there's all that locked energy or is your head i see i teach it your head hand and foot hits very close to the same line at the same time so now that can go on both ends and if you overcoach this you'll see your athletes run like they shouldn't but in the first days of our program you're going to see and feel i'm going to make you do one-arm runs I'm going to make you literally bound in place to where your hand and foot hit at the same exact time with looseness and fluidity. There's a lot of um, rhythm-based training to where like it's an overjumping where I double tap and then I'll fly in the air. Rhythm on the split squat jumps that we do. Um, but I think an expression of rhythm can also have like an oscillatory movement to it to where it's like very, very, very fast, but you're catching everything with a really, really smooth rhythm and understanding Oh, I can catch force with rhythm, not just grunting and, and yelling. And there's just more to it. So thinking about teaching athletes how to be strong and fast and giving them very basic drills that you can build up to and progress from with good rhythm. It makes me think about, I think, I don't know if it's our, like, I think it might've been our first workout we did. It was, I always remember this is again, another French contrast circuit. I don't know if we, I think we still had dunks in there, but the but the the finisher of each circuit, this going into kind of the high energy bracket, like we had some like a hex deadlift, like a dunk, a, you know, some fast. We did stuff. some Kaiser. Like, we did some Kaiser yeah, triple extension. Yeah, med ball throws. Uh, so, but then I think the finisher was um, oscillatory Russian lunge jumps. So deep to call me. Yeah, uh, uh, and tool. Uh, and tool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and tool. Yeah, yeah, we would have to. Yeah, we were. So we were jumping like every beat. Like we'd have to, okay, wait for this beat to hit. And then we do a, a, a Russian workout. jump as high as we could. And we held the five minute split lunge outside on the cold in the rain. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, a, I think that was a different day. Was it? Uh, I, or maybe that was just the finisher on one day. 
Yeah, that was pretty. There's there is a picture of that somewhere, but an amazing day. <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll if I can find it, I'll have to post that. But that, yeah, that was hard. Um, <laughs> the uh, but that that um, the the I think that's so underrated is the just doing things. Yeah, I mean, again, not not everything has to be to music, but it is fun when you get to put an athlete's favorite song on or some song that's meaning and say, "Hey, do this movement." You have to jump every time this beat hits or something. There's like that, that feel good. Why do boot camps rock? Why do? Why is some of the most successful? Not saying I do boot camps. Why are some of the most successful gyms and classes have to do with movement? It's because there's really good music, so they can fill these classes, but people don't even realize what they're tapping into, which is the rhythm which is the music and the endorphins and feeling good and getting into the parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system they're not even tapping into it but if you can do that consciously with an athlete tell them this is what they're doing and let them feel it i think it's extremely powerful i had never done the split jumps with two music and i use it with my youth every other day every other day to where that's being used on the daily, not saying it's always a split squat. It might be a push-up. It might be a bottom push-up where you flare your hair out or flare your arm out to the music. It just depends. But letting them end with something they don't really understand at that age, but that makes them very, very happy and they enjoy it. And it's actually promoting healing before they walk out the door and good music and they're leaving. <laughs> they're like, oh my God, they're happy. That makes, that makes everything better. Not saying you have to feel good every session, but I think subconsciously being proud of yourself and knowing you did everything you could in that day to become the best version of yourself, which is a little cheesy or the best athlete. There's something to be said about that. There's something to be said. You're always going to be sore. You're not always going to be sore, but your body's not always going to feel good. But if you know that you did everything you could and it actually worked, you're buying all the way into that program and all the way into that gym and all the way into that community and all the way into that way of life to where it becomes subconscious but it has to become conscious first yeah i i like one of the first things you had said that resonated with me is the athlete always leaving with a smile on their face and so i want to ask about that in just a second i uh you said with the youth and and like the rhythm type thing i found even my my four-year-old daughter my wife bought a a, those little mini exercise trampolines and my daughter loves jumping on that with there's music on she'll jump for like for like 10 minutes just and just you can just see she's like kind of playing with the beats and jumping up and down and it's just it's in our system so i like how you took that and you you know i think there's certain types of adult clients that might not like that as much depending on their preference but i think every younger athlete for the most part um has something like that wired into i mean older athletes maybe it depends on what you like i mean not everyone's gonna like doing uh one minute of russian lunge jumps on the same leg to tool every 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 you know beat of the <laughs> so I, that was all i would i do recommend that by the way if you're a coach at I some do. at some point <laughs> it's like doing the moby uh what's the, the i love moby by the way but the moby push-up song the uh when they go up and down when he says up and down is it I the forget. Sally Up song or is that the different one? Uh, maybe I, I, I I'll I'll look it up after this. But it's the it's a song that you use that up and down to push yeah. ups, and people either hate it or they love it. <laughs> um, but at least I think music also has a place in resiliency and in training. It can help you get through that get you through that hard time. It can help you get you excited for that PR. Yeah, I I, I agree. It, it is. Um, it also does bring around a little bit. It kind of brings you in the moment and outside of expectations too. Sometimes, and it, it keeps you on a, on a point. Uh, so one thing I wanted to ask you, and this goes kind of into like you know having a smile on your face. Uh, what do you see? And I, I mentioned this in the beginning of the talk. Like, you know, are we sports performance coaches? Are we physical preparation? Are we strength and conditioning? Like, I don't, I don't even know on some level. Uh, but but what do you see? <laughs> I. I <laughs> I, I don't know. I maybe. I mean, words are words uh, for whatever they mean. But what do you, what do you see as the evolving purpose of of 
this profession, what we do, what, what whether it be at like you what said, do you work I with think every, or what do I want? Well, tell Those me, tell me both, things. and tell me both, and tell me not just athletes, but you, like you said, you work with seven year olds, you work with you know kids, like because I, I do think there's a broader. Maybe if we, I don't know, like you take this wherever you want, whether you, what it's you think, what we are now, uh, how are you seeing uh, the evolving purpose of what we do with what you bring to work every day? I think where our industry is going in, in a lot of ways is, um, I saw Brett Cummins say something about this yesterday. I think our industry is more focused on marketing and not saying the really good coaches. I'm saying as a whole, the industry is huge. As a whole, I think the industry is more focused on funneling people into their gym. They don't hold them very long. They don't give the results they want, but they are very good at marketing and they're very good at sponsored ads. They are very good at drawing people into their energy in their gym, which is not a bad thing. But if they can't give results and they can't sustain a client, you're one, you're not a good performance coach. Two, your business is going to fail and then you're not going to be training anyone. Um, so that's where I think the industry is going in a large sense of people not taking legitimacy more important. Brett Cummins has said, you'll spend $1,500 on a 30 second video clip, but you won't spend $1,500 or 15,000 minutes or 1500 minutes on continuing your education. That's a problem. Like I said, legitimacy was what I was really bad at. Now that's what I pride myself on. So excuse me, where I would want it to go and where I, we talked about earlier is our job, if you, if you want to take the thought of strength and speed out of your head, we're human performance coaches. Our job is to optimize the human at its raw foundational level, whether that be, I think it's all together. It is spiritual, it is physical, and it is emotional. Those three things are our job. Now, can you just get a certification and understand how to do that? I don't think so. I think it takes thousands of hours and understanding on the floor, on the training floor. How do people react? How do humans react to what you're giving? Is it a good stress? Is it a bad stress? Are you inducing things that they can't recover from and they're going to be worse when they come back to you tomorrow? Are you giving them things and parameters that actually help them become a better athlete? If you're talking like a lot of our NFL guys, you're talking about millions of dollars on the line. Are you doing everything that you're doing for them as a human being, which playing football is literally like a quarter of the year? And if you talk about minutes, I don't even want to think about the percentage that they actually play football a year. But what are you spending all your time doing? Trying to act like you're going to play football and be a badass and, and run through walls. That has to be left at the door and only keep that energy for when you're about to go down and do it. How can we get better in keeping the league for 10 to 15 years? That's what I care about. And it goes much deeper than a freaking perfectly well-framed linear progression in the weight room and speed. It's way deeper than that. So I think our job and where I would like us to go is come together as a community just like I want my gym to do and is doing, which is beautiful. It's why it grows is come together as community, let the ego down and communicate how we can become the best version of ourselves as trainers to give athletes the best results. All we are is a huge catalyst. That's literally what we are to an athlete's progression. If you can take your own ego away, I don't care who you've trained, who's been in your gym, how much money you've made or not made. You're just a catalyst. That's all you are. You're just trying to get them from point A to point B. Their point B might be $100 million or might be starting on JV. So if you can get out of the way and just become what that person needs, that's what I hope the industry goes into. And I love what I do. I show up every day. I don't. I work my butt off. And I've done it for six straight years and to where we're now in an 11,000 square foot facility. We started on the side of a house. It's great. But if I was ego driven, I would not be where I'm at today because I would have thought I've already made it when I trained my first NFL client. 
No, I didn't. My programming on my first NFL client, looking back at it three years ago, was terrible. It was atrocious. And, you know, Lauren told me to never think that you've ever made it. I don't think I made it. I, I, I still self-critique after every session almost. And taking my yeah. own advice, I should leave with a smile. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm going to be critical of what I'm doing because I feel like I can always get better from a day-to-day basis. It I is, know it's a long-winded yeah. answer, but yeah. I, hope that, I hope that answers the question. I, I do think it's universal, like um, maybe it takes me to something like Jim Carrey said, it's like, you think having, you know, millions of dollars is going to make you happy. Well then try having millions of dollars and see if it made, made you happy or not. And I do think that a lot of times as coaches, we think, well, when I just maybe coach an Olympian or when I, you know, coach a pro or, you know, you coach some level of athlete that that's going to make you feel like you've truly made it. And it's never, it never does. And, and not saying, I, I mean, I'm not saying that in the way that there's not something that's very powerful about having the opportunity to do that but to me and i'm sure you'd agree with this too is that in the grand scheme of things it's it's awesome to have that opportunity but it is just as great to be able to coach a young athlete and like you said have them leave with a smile on their face and know that you've made their day or maybe given them something that could change their whole life the beautiful thing is staying in the now and i think that i did set these goals at 21 22 i'm 27 now when i when I first listened to your podcast, I remember commenting on your pictures long ago. I will be on your podcast one day, screenshotting it. I was in an article on, um, what was that, stock.com, where they both used one of our references for isometrics. And just to be in the same article as you, I was like, oh my God, I made it. One day I'll be on your podcast. And I made a post about it. And now we are. But like thinking about that, like Joe Burrow's training in the gym right now. I'm getting interviewed by one of my idols and mentors that I have now got to train with in my city. I have an 11,000 square foot gym. I've hit the monetary goals that I've wanted. And this is not to brag. It's a lot of hard work. I still feel the same as when I was training one client on the side of my parents' house. I still feel the same. And people can call me a bullshitter. People can call me a liar for this. I feel identical the same way because throughout the whole entire thing, my circle and my wife especially has kept me grounded. It's the process entire of the whole thing or you're going to miss it. So me staying present, I really feel the same way as when now, obviously, it's good to, to have a nice gym and to have security and to have these things. But I'm still a dude just trying to make someone faster and stronger at the heart of it. That's who I am. So what's different? Yeah, I, I still wear the same clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still wearing a beanie and a black sheep shirt like it, that it hasn't changed in years. And I just think it, the young coaches out there who want the the followers and the, the, the first round draft picks and the, the, the hall of famers and all these things. It's great. But if you don't enjoy the process, you're never going to be able to actually appreciate it and value it when it actually comes. I agree. I, I think that's true for all parts of life. I know for me, I, I mean, it's, I would say it's in, in many ways, it's very similar. I, I, I think that thing that, um, there's a few things that always make me feel like, I guess I'm doing what I, I'm supposed to in this life. <laughs> I always feel good if I if I release a podcast and it, it gets a lot of you know shares and views and people say it's been beneficial and that always makes me happy. I you know same thing if you an athlete leaves and you know that they had a good session or they set a PR they set a PR that's always like an athlete setting a PR is always really special no matter who it is. Um, but I think that for me almost it always just comes back to almost back when I was fourteen or fifteen. That's just having a good training session. Not to say it's all about me, but just. Whether it's just a training session I had, whether I get to share that training session with someone else, um, which usually is the best. Can we go uh, back to why, though? <laughs> why do you like to train? That's why I, I asked myself that. makes you feel good. 
it makes me feel full of life and and it makes me feel like i have another purpose on this earth and whether that's cheesy or not to you meatheads out there like after a training session i feel like i can do anything in the world because i just did everything i could in that moment to make myself more resilient and a better human being yeah i think it goes back to what we said in the beginning why did you become a strength coach and not a football coach and i think that's an important question to ask with a lot of coaches is why why did you choose the weight room something that again we could say in some cases has a limited transfer to sport from x's and o's perspective when the cape many kpis are already being hit so what else is there that comes out of this you know and and sometimes i think you're right like thinking about that young version of myself or or now it's like the the thing that happens when there's almost no uh, expectations necessarily and you you call it transcendent but there's something that happens when you push yourself or even a push could be a word and used in many different ways it could yeah. be fatigue but it could be a lot of other things mentally whatever uh, and and you achieve something that maybe before that session you weren't and that evolution and maybe that's a little bit of that piece i think if it's letting it be that simple you achieve something you didn't the day before <laughs> be happy about it yeah move on you did it mm-hmm. now go enjoy the day i i think there's a lot to that and i think that being overcomplicated is also a reason that people get envious and greedy and jealous in this industry is because well they're not as good as i am so why do they have this and that it's not about that they might be doing something completely different than programming and knowledge and everything that you don't even think about that reason might be why that their gym is more successful or that reason might be why not say i hate the word successful i shouldn't use the word maybe that's why they have more clients because success is determined by the person right but maybe that's the reason they can live the way they do maybe that's the reason they have the facility they do maybe they're doing something outside of what you think is right and i think opening your mind will shed a lot of light on a new life what what um that's really good stuff to think about a lot to process um but, but maybe I could sum it up in this way. Is what are three things or a couple of things that go into your mind before each training session? Like putting those wow. together. If a group's coming in, and maybe it's different probably for different whatever for what, whatever group, but like what are some big things that circulate in your head that said that say this is what needs to happen to really make this a great session? Well, I mean, just an example. So I don't train the youth in our gym. Coach Danny does. He's uh, taken that over. He's amazing at it. And having the same mindset for every single client can be detrimental, I think. And sometimes in early in business, I got kind of caught into that. I'm going to treat everyone the same. It's my way. Like I said, ego driven, um, to where for each certain type of session I'm about to have, whether I'm like, we're doing a huge event with fleet feet, which is a running store in the city. We're going to be training like a hundred women in here at once. I can't walk in like I'm going to train pro athletes. There's no perfect progression and regression Mm -hmm. to everything. There's no perfect rep range. So I think one of the things, the most important thing, I think, is being 100% present, not putting expectations on yourself or the athlete, like being there. So maybe it's one of the, maybe he did something or she was went through something before that session that you might not even understand or can relate to. You think they're going to tell you that? Absolutely not. Unless that's your your guy or your girl or you're with them all the time, maybe they won't. So I think being extremely present to yourself and the athlete is of the utmost importance so you can make the right decision. Um, having a plan, whether that plan might be having fun, but having a plan to fall back on to at least an outline or a rubric to where you know what you're going in the session to plan, to do, or to um, 
to actually achieve in the session. Like I want to work on linear, linear acceleration today. I want to work on lower body stiffness and power in the weight room today. Okay. Well, that, that in general could be a million different ways, but knowing what you're doing, walking in and having a plan is very important. Um, and third, the environment, <laughs> I'm an environment, environmentally rich guy. Like I really like the energy to be right. I've saged my gym. You know what I mean? Like there's there, the energy is so important. I've had dads and I could show you a hundred messages on people talking about the energy in this room. And it's a huge facility, but like, man, the energy is just different in here. What do you guys do? You know, it's freaking white walls and turf and awaits like everywhere else. It's what we put into it. It's what we feel when we do it. It's what we exude. It's, it's our energy that a lot of people don't ever want to talk about that. There's another world not seen. We see it in here and we feel it. And we push that upon our clients to tap into that reality and to create your own reality. So feeling an, an intense, rich, progressive, fiery energy when you walk into a room, it's freaking kinetic. Like it literally just it travels through you and travels through the room where you just tap into it or you run away from us because it's too much. But just the environment is so important. And like I said, environment a lot of times is more important than programming. It really is. That's what me and you get along immediately. We're like, let's put on this music. Well, let's let's freaking take our shirts off and, and, and yell. It's like, it, it, whether you want to try that or not, that's fine. You know, I've, I've had insane lifts and PRs and stuff without that. But at the same time, it's that freedom of expression that people can get locked into and train the right way. And I think that people are too afraid to put themselves out there to look stupid or funny or try something new to achieve something they never have. And until they do, our industry is going to look like squares. I think we are making inroads to make it more powerful, the environment more powerful. I think coaches are starting to, I'm sure there's lots of coaches who have known this all along, but it is, it's good to hear more and more coaches talking about that because it is, it is one of those foundational pillars if you were to have your pyramid. And I I hope those were a good three. I've never thought about that before. Well, (laughs) that wasn't in the show notes. (laughs) Sorry, man. I I I like to, I I love it. I just wanted to throw that in there at the end before on the way out. I, so, but no, man, it's, it's been good stuff. And yeah, I, I, I just know that I've felt the same way in terms of, and it was actually, it's been a few experiences. Rafe, Rafe Kelly's podcast about having a smile and athlete having a smile on their face before you really start the work, you know, to know they're ready. That was a, it's like, and I think I was ready for that podcast when I finally was able to have that chat with them. But ever since then, I just think about, you know, what um, environmentally and emotionally are they ready to do everything else? And then it will just magnify your results. It so. will, but their walls let yeah. down. Why, why is there, why do, why do massive corporations have happy hour? It's because they get a few drinks in them. The walls come down, the communication mm-hmm. gets richer. So when they go back on Monday, what's up, Bill, you yeah. know, with that yeah. crazy story, blah, blah, blah. You just shed the wall down. Now there's a common ground. So if the common ground is happiness and progression in a room, once we agree on that together, we're going to step to the door together. You know what I mean? And I, th- I think people don't like every single athlete that walks through my doors. And if you've been around me long enough, you know, it's a true statement. You have to walk up to me. I don't care if I'm in the most important meeting of my life. You knock on the door. How's it going, Pat? How you doing? You good? Great. And if you have a meeting at my gym and you're not okay with that, don't have a meeting at my gym. It doesn't take five seconds to say, hey, how you doing? Give each other a hello and walk away. When you leave, say goodbye. You know, there's those little tiny things that make them feel like they're a part of the space now and they actually have and hold weight in your world versus you're just, oh, do this, do that, mm-hmm. see it, get out, go throw up, blah, blah, blah. 
How you doing, man? Everything good? Everything good at school? Mm-hmm. How are your parents doing? You all right? All right, have a good night. Thank you for coming and be safe on the way home. Eat your food. The kids are like, oh, man, that's, that's mm-hmm. awesome. But that, that adds up to create a facility, and people want to create facilities, these mega facilities, will do it the right way. Start it from the heart mm-hmm. and the inside versus how much money do you want to gross? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great place to start. I never thought about that. It just naturally mm-hmm. happened to where we're in this facility now. It, it all it does start with being present, and that's a whole other talk. I think with where you know society's headed in the digital age and all that. But if we can start with being present in our athletes' lives, I think we're in a really good place. Very so, good place. Anyways, man, I think that's a good place to leave off for this talk. But Pat, it's awesome to have you on. It's awesome to be here today, uh, chatting in your office with this uh, little medieval <laughs> medieval hat next to me. And and you made my dreams come true, man. You made my dreams come true. I mean that. So anyone's listening who thinks they can be on this podcast one day. It just happened, and it, it, it was uh, it was a, an amazing experience, Joel, and I hope we train for, for the rest of our lives together and create some gold. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I, we can uh, do uh, dunks and rhythm jumps to tool. Let's, uh, let's make it our next workout. See you so on I Friday. Look, I look yeah. forward to it. <laughs> that wraps up another show. Thanks for being here. If you enjoy what we're doing and this show, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. We would totally appreciate that. And we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.